Well, hello, church, and uh, all who are watching our, our video today as we continue our study in the book of Psalms. Uh, as always, I'm glad to have you with us, and I uh, pray that these lessons are a blessing to you. Uh, we finally finished last week. We finished Psalm 119, and today we're moving into Psalm 120. Uh, so take your Bible and uh, turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 120 as we begin there now. As we move out of Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the book of Psalms, 176 verses, we're moving into a set of 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 uh, that are called Ascension Psalms. Uh, they're called Ascension Psalms because they were uh, typically sung or spoken as the uh, Hebrews uh, went up to Jerusalem for the annual feast. Uh, yeah, of course, you understand, especially in the time of Jesus uh, later, not all the, the Jews lived in Jerusalem or around Jerusalem. They were spread out over the Roman Empire. And then earlier, of course, there was a Babylonian captivity and other times when the Jews weren't uh, in Jerusalem. But then later they were able to go back to Jerusalem. And so these set of Psalms have to do with uh, traveling, if you will, ascending. I always thought of ascending because Jerusalem was on a hill and the Temple Mount was on a hill, so they always spoke of going up to the Temple, going up to Jerusalem. And so these are Ascension Psalms uh, for the next 15 Psalms, if you will. Um, now the very first one here, Psalm 120, the psalmist uh, speaks of, of trouble as he goes toward Jerusalem. He speaks of being in trouble or having trouble with those around him, and specifically speaks of, of lying, those who who would hurt him or harm him through lying or giving false testimony about him or making false accusations. So look at the first two verses as he, uh, this psalm is, a, is really a plea for relief as he ascended up to Jerusalem. Uh, take a look at what he said in verses one and two. The psalmist said, in my distress, I cried to the Lord and he heard me. Now what was his distress? Here it is in verse two. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips uh, and from deceitful tongues. He said, Lord, deliver me from those who would lie and those who would be deceitful and those who would hurt me. Now, the context is as, as he's ascending or moving toward Jerusalem, he's walking through strange lands. He's walking through people who aren't Hebrews. He's walking through towns and cities uh, where people aren't necessarily his friend. In other words, he's a stranger there as he walks toward Jerusalem. Uh, the Jews always, in their national fervor, always viewed themselves, of course, as being God's people. And so it was, there were Hebrews, Israelites, and then there were Gentiles or everybody else. And so this, this psalmist passes through those Gentile territories, if you will, uh, on his way to Jerusalem, and he's, he's an outsider. He's not included. And these outsiders uh, take aim at him, take aim at him through lying and being deceitful. And if you think of that picture, um, you find it in the Bible often, it's, it parallels what the New Testament tells us about our Christian faith. Um, when we come to Christ, uh, when the Holy Spirit convicts us and, we're, and we understand our, our lostness and our sinfulness and we pray and we put our faith in Jesus, and we ask Him to forgive us and we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, become a new creation in Christ. In that moment, we become citizens of heaven. We are born into the family of God. 
And so the Bible says in the moment of salvation that we are now citizens of heaven and, and we're not citizens of this world. In other words, the world, for those who are saved, the world's not our home. This is not where we're going to spend eternity. Our, our life is but a handbreadth there. It's but a moment in time and eternity. Uh, so we live 50, 60, 70, 80 years. That's nothing. Our, our home is in heaven. And so you can take this picture of the psalmist passing through these lands as he moves toward home, as he moves toward Jerusalem, as he moves toward worshiping in the temple and being near God's uh, manifestation of himself there in the temple. He's moving through a strange land of people who, who have animosity toward him, who, who would bring him harm through lying and deceitfulness. And so the same is true today. As you and I live this life here in this world, <clears throat> if you're a born-again child of God, the world's not your home. Uh, the people in this world who are lost and bent against God and, and have set their hearts against God, they're not your friends. They're not your companions. In fact, uh, in fact, if they hate God, they're going to hate you. And if they make God their enemy, they're going to make you their enemy. The world, if you've not discovered it by now, uh, will do all it can to harm the cause of Christ, do all it can to harm the cause of the church, and the cause of those who follow Jesus. Uh, Peter talked about this a little bit, and I want to read you the passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Uh, listen to what Peter said about the Christian journey in this life. He said, Beloved, speaking to Christians, speaking to say people, he said, I beseech you or I beg you as, listen, as strangers and pilgrims, sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul, having your conduct, your testimony, honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, not if they will, not that they might, but when they do, when they speak against you uh, as a child of God, uh, that they may be, uh, by your good works, that they observe, that they can glorify God. They'll be embarrassed by your good lifestyle, and then all your good works will glorify God. What Peter's saying is this, that we're pilgrims here. We're, we're we're just passing through this life, man. We're just um, we're just here doing what God told us to do, uh, exercising the Great Commission, sharing the gospel, edifying one another, teaching God's word, building one another up, raising our families in the fear and admonition of the Lord, until it's time to go home, until it's time to to ascend uh, to our home in heaven and spend eternity with Jesus. Uh, so. It kind of gives us a good perspective on life when the troubles of this life come. And like today, all the all the social discord and the civil discord, political discord, uh, the world is a wicked place, sinful and violent and murders and, and lying and cheating and stealing. We know that this is just a passing thing. We're just passing through this part of our existence to spend eternity with Jesus. Now, Peter said two things. Really, and the psalmist could have said these as well, but Peter said this. He said, there are two things we should do as we pass through this life, like the psalmist, passing through the strange land. Number one, abstain from evil, abstain from fleshly lust. Now, the word abstain means to, to resist it. it. It means to <clears throat> not participate in it. Um, just as the psalmist would walk through those strange lands on the way to Jerusalem, he didn't, he didn't stop and engage in the affairs of the world. He didn't stop and engage in the sin of the world. Um, so we're to do likewise. As we pass through this life, uh, God's called us to abstain from, from fleshly lusts. Now listen, sin is attractive to the flesh. 
a sin is attractive to to the world, and it would be easy for us to be drawn into that. Peter said, abstain from that. Now, abstain means a conscious decision. It, listen to this very carefully. None of us have in our own selves the power to resist sin. We just don't have it. I don't, I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how successful you've been in the past. Uh, if not for the power of God, the Holy Spirit who lives in us, sin would eat your lunch in the next, in the next five minutes. Mine as well, all of us. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us the victory over sins. Everybody understand that? I'll say it again. We don't, we don't gain the victory over sin because of any power or prowess of our own or holiness of our own or, or knowledge of our own. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us victory over sin because we're not powerful enough in ourselves to do it. However, listen to this carefully. Unless we're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to give us a victory, unless we're willing to abstain from sin, unless we make the conscious decision to say, God, I don't want to do that, and, and I will fail. I need your help to be victorious over it. It is at that point when we when we really don't want to engage in sin, we want to abstain from it, that the Holy Spirit then gives us the victory over it. It has been my my experience in, in the Christian life and as a pastor for all these years that most people who are who are saved but are, are always falling in the same sin over and over and over and over again, um, in a moment, they might want to abstain from that sin, but that abstinence from the sin doesn't carry on every day. In other words, it comes a point when in their flesh they give in to it, uh, and that's why they fail. In other words, it's attractive to them, and they don't really ask the Holy Spirit to help them, and maybe there's not really an intention in their mind to abstain from the sin. They, they just run from it long enough to wait for it to catch up in that analogy. And so it really takes an abstinence from us that we say, man, I'm not going to do that. And too many Christians today, quite honestly, too many Christians today look just like the world. They might be saved, but man, they're, they are engaged in all kinds of sin. And Peter said, don't do that. We're just strangers passing through here. Don't put roots down in this world because we're not staying here. Secondly, he said, have an honorable testimony before the world. The world, the strangers, because we're outsiders, because we're passing through and we don't, we're not of this world anymore. We're heavenly creatures in Jesus Christ. The world's going to attack us. And what he said there is live a life, a testimony that's, that's so... Uh, it's so powerful before the world that even they would be embarrassed to accuse us of wrongdoing or of sin or or of impurity because they see us and they go, man, that, that guy, that gal, they really love the Lord. <clears throat> A good example of that is, is Daniel in the Bible. You'll remember when the Babylonian Empire fell and the Medo-Persian Empire took over, Daniel was placed as a number three guy in the whole kingdom. He was like right up there and among the number three, and he was number one of the top three. Well, those Persian leaders, good example, Daniel was a man of God, a man, he, he's not of this world. He was there, God had him in that place as a prophet, but Daniel's not of this world. And so those worldly men didn't like Daniel and they wanted to have him removed from office. And so they got together and they looked at his life. They looked at everything Daniel did. They looked at the way he lived, at his morality, they looked at how he handled the affairs of the kingdom. Was he honest? Was he a man of integrity? Was he transparent? In the Bible, of their own testimony in the book of Daniel, they could find nothing. They could find nothing to bring accusation against Daniel. That's what Peter's saying about us. If the world comes after us and they start digging around in your life or mine, what are they going to find? 
if the world comes after us and they and they look at your business affairs and they look at your personal affairs and where you travel and what you did when you were in this city or that city or pull up your internet files, what are they going to find? You see, for Daniel, it was nothing. And that's what Peter's saying is, have such a testimony that they can't find anything uh, uh, about your life to bring accusation that they might be ashamed. Be different as you walk through this world. The, the psalmist said, man, I'm being attacked because I'm different. Let me give you one more example. In Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, <clears throat> in Antioch, it was great. God was moving in a great way. Multitudes of people were being saved. And Barnabas went to find Paul and bring him back. Listen to what it says here. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus or for Tarsus to seek Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught, the, taught a great many people. So God's doing a great work. Barnabas goes and gets Paul, brings him back to Antioch. And for a year, they're teaching the Bible. For a year, they're teaching God's word, pointing people to Jesus. Now listen to what happened. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Who called them Christians? They didn't call themselves Christians. The people, the world, the strangers, those who weren't saved, saw them and said, man, they look like Jesus. We're going to call them Christians. Would the world call us Christians because of our lifestyle? The psalmist said, Lord, I need to be delivered because living and walking with you and for you, I'm being attacked. Now, the psalmist had a specific request here in verse 2. Look at it again in Psalm 120, verse 2. He asked, he said, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Lying lips and deceitful tongues. Um, David, for instance, if this was David, and there's debate over who all the authors of these 15 Ascension Psalms, but David knows this effect or had experienced this effect. You'll remember in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22, Daniel had visited the priest at a place called Nob and had taken Goliath's sword and gotten some food and went on his way. Well, there was a, an Edomite named Doeg. And Doeg went back to Saul and lied and said that the priests at Nob were, were helping David in his nefarious attempts against the kingdom, which was all a lie. He was casting dispersions on the character of David and on the priest. And the result of that lying and the result of, that, of those lying lips and those deceitful uh, words of Doeg well, Saul went to Nob and had Doag slay 45 men of God who were serving there as priests, all because of lying lips. Now listen, folks will attack us today as Christians by, by saying things that aren't true about us, by saying things that aren't true about the church. We, we in our age of social media, for example, uh, on Facebook and YouTube and all these videos that are available, there are some places for people to write comments and to respond. And sometimes people will make comments that are completely unfounded, that are untrue about the church and about the ministry of the church. And we, we address those and we, and we re rebut their false statements. But the fact is, that's a good example of what happens. And in a personal, in a personal way, what can happen in life? I think people, people who mean us harm uh, as Christians will sometimes do it through lying in two ways. Number one, they'll feign to be your friend, okay? They'll come alongside and they'll act like they're your friend, but all the while what they're doing is they're trying to get close to you so that they can later do more damage to you when they tell the lies or, or know more about you and know of a better way uh, to hurt you. 
it has been, unfortunately, my experience in the ministry from time to time that that those whom, whom I may have befriended um, at some point try to leverage that friendship um, for for purposes that are that aren't biblical or for conduct and things. In other words, they ask for my my con, my my, my um, agreement with things that aren't right. And when I and when I biblically build a principle that says no, you can't do that, then suddenly our friendship uh, seems to be shattered, uh, and and they go off saying all kinds of things that really are not true. And I've I've experienced that before, and it's painful. And, and I believe the psalmist is saying that, Lord, they 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 hurt with their words that are that are not true. And then the second way that people would attack us is just straight ahead. I mean, they just they just do all they can to say damaging things about us, about the church, about the ministry of Jesus Christ. And we have a we have a right, and, and in many cases, a responsibility if there's a forum to rebut that, to uh, to say the truth. And we do that. We will we will speak speak the truth. Um, I mean, I'll say this, as Christians, you need to be careful. Be careful about the circumstances that you allow yourself to be drawn into. Be careful about the places where you are. It is, in, it is incumbent upon us, uh, for sake of testimony, for the sake of the gospel, to, to live a life that's above reproach, above even the appearance of evil, even the appearance of evil. Christians will say to me sometimes, Pastor, why why are you so um, so focused on you know things that are Christian liberties that you know that you talk about? Well, if it's a Christian liberty, then it's a Christian liberty. You have every liberty under Jesus Christ between you and Him to do what you want to do, and one of those is drinking alcoholic beverages. But think about it for a minute. If Peter just said you need to live a life, a testimony that's above reproach so that even if they accuse you, they're ashamed. Does engaging in some of that stuff really do that? If that's the command of the Bible, that we're to, we're to, to not give the world a foothold, to grab a hold of a handle and bring accusation against us or against the cause of Christ, are we really doing that when we go out into the world and sit shoulder to shoulder with them and engage in the same things they engage in with some imaginary line where we go, well, I didn't step over the line, so it didn't become sin. Well, maybe we didn't step over the line, but we're standing so close to it, we're about to fall over. That's not that's not living a life uh, that's so transparently different from the world that they look at us and go, man, there's something different about you. You look like Jesus. You look like you look like what the Bible says. The wicked will; those who lie will attack us. They'll tell they'll tell untruths about us. Let's don't give them any ammunition, is what I'm saying. Let's don't let's don't give them any bullets uh, to shoot at us. Okay. Now he asks for deliverance in the Lord in verses three and four. Look at it with me very quickly. Uh, the psalmist said this. He said, "What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongues?" He said, "What what's going to happen to you?" for being this way, for being liars and being deceivers and, and trying to harm. And he said in verse 4 here, he answers his own statement, sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom or juniper tree. Well, that's pretty interesting. And if you once you understand what he's saying there. First, he says, he, it's a warning. He says to those who, who are liars and deceivers and those who would attack God's people, those who would attack uh, those on the journey to Jerusalem, those who would attack the psalmist, with lying words and deceitful words. 
those who would impugn his character, same as today, those who would attack God's church, those who would attack Christians, those who would do all they can to harm and hinder the church of Jesus Christ. The psalmist says, beware of two things. Number one, he said, beware of being pierced through by arrows uh, from the warrior. Well, Jesus is the warrior. He's the mighty warrior. He's the one coming in Revelation on the white horse with the army of heaven, King of kings and Lord of lords on his, on his robe and the sword. Uh, he's coming. He's the warrior. Now, an arrow, a bow and arrow is a distance weapon. Arrows, arrows can bring damage from a distance. See, so the world today uh, thinks it's, it's so far removed from the hand of God. The wicked think they can live without any without any uh, penalty. They think they can live with impunity and live in their sin and attack the church and they don't see anything happen. Well, an arrow is not one of those things you see coming. I mean, it's, it's a distance weapon and a, and a bowman, a great warrior who's, who's good with an arrow can shoot an arrow and the person doesn't know uh, they're dead till they get hit with the thing. Uh, the, the psalmist is saying here, be careful to those who lie and are deceitful because uh, the arrow of God, the finger of God, the hand of God, the, the judgment of God comes unexpectedly. Uh, God warns and then God judges. Just because there's a delay doesn't mean God's judgment isn't coming. It's just a grace. It's a period. It's an opportunity for that wicked one, that liar, that deceiver to see their sin and to repent. But the writer says, be careful because the great warrior shoots straight and his arrows reach their target always and they hit where he aims. Uh, and, and judgment will come. So those who are lying and deceiving and those who attack the church of Jesus Christ, the psalmist warns them, be careful. And then he says the coals of the broom tree or the juniper tree are hot. Now you have to know a little bit about that tree. In, in that part of the world, when they wanted to start a fire, they would get brambles and bushes and briars and they burn hot real quick, but then they burn out and are gone. Not so with a juniper tree. A juniper tree was is a hardwood that burns a long time. And even the coals, after the log itself is burned up, the coals stay extremely hot for a long time. And so what the, what the writer here is saying is, hey, be careful. The arrows of God are straight. He's a mighty warrior and he knows how to defend his own. And by the way, his punishment is hot. His wrath is hot and it don't cool quickly. Meaning when you fall under God's judgment, the heat, the heat lasts a long time, which, which leads us intuitively to the lake of fire to think of man god's judgment is hot uh the lake of fire that burns with with brimstone uh, you know where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and there's never relief um the warning is very severe in fact it reminds me at the end of the book of revelation as we're sunday mornings moving through that book listen to what revelation 22 verses 14 and 15 say listen to this uh, blessed are those who do His commandments. Blessed are those who listen to God and obey Him. Blessed are those who come to Him. Blessed are those who are not part of this world, who are strangers here, who are outcasts. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gate into the city. Blessed are those who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and will one day enter the gates of glory through those pearly gates and, and live in the new Jerusalem of Jesus. But listen to this. But outside the city, Outside the gate, outside those who are citizens, those who are not citizens of heaven. He, listen to what the writer, listen to what John said. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually, sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Deceivers, liars. In the list of exactly what the psalmist is talking about. In fact, that list of sins, which characterizes those who are outside of God, those who have rejected God, all those sins characterize their lives. 
is the same list that we found back in Revelation chapter 9 after the sixth trumpet that the people wouldn't repent of those sins. In other words, they saw the direct judgment of God, demons around the world killing one-third of the population, and they wouldn't repent of their sin. Same sins, sorcery and murder and, and idolatry, immorality, the whole thing, liars. Uh, the warning is very clear from the psalmist here. Be careful about attacking the church of Jesus Christ. Be careful about attacking those who are journeying here, who belong to him, who are citizens of heaven, because the judgment of God is severe. And the judgment of God is forever. Once a person goes to the lake of fire, there's no recovery from that. So I would encourage you to be saved today if you're not saved. Let me close with this. Um, in verses 5 to 7, he talks about grief, the grief that this world causes, the, the heart of those who love God. Listen to what he says in verses 5, 6, and 7. He said, What was me? That I dwell in Meshach, and that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. He says, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. What he's saying here very simply uh, is the sin of the world and, and the rebelliousness of the world and the wickedness of the world grieves his heart. As he passes through this world, as he passed on his journey, ascending up to Jerusalem, it grieved him to see the, the depravity of the world and, and the rebelliousness against God. We find out in, in the guy named Lot. You remember Lot was Abraham's nephew, and he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah is known. Uh, uh, sodomy uh, it became the term to speak of homosexuality because that city was given over to that sin. Um, Jesus appeared to Abraham with two angels, and Jesus in a theophany, and the angels went into Sodom and Gomorrah and confirmed the great wickedness there. And, of course, the angels led Sodom Led, led Lot and his wife and his two daughters out of Sodom before fire and brimstone fell on the city and destroyed it and killed all those people under God's judgment. Lot's an interesting character, but when you get over to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, you know what the Bible says about, about Lot? The Bible says that Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah and that he was a righteous man and that, listen, and that the depravity of that city vexed his righteous soul every day. In other words, what it said is Lot lived there but because he was a saved man, the wickedness of the city vexed his soul every day. Vexed him. It wore on him. It weighed on him. The psalmist is saying the same thing here. He says, woe is me as I pass through this world. We could say the same today. Uh, my heart is grieved uh, to know that in this country, in this nation that we live in, the United States of America, the most blessed nation the world has ever known, that we kill a million babies a year by abortion, that we murder them in their mother's womb. There's no way, other way to say it. Uh, there's no argument to it. There's no discussion of it. A baby at conception is a baby. And we kill a million babies a year in the womb. That hurts my heart. And, and it grieves me when I see in our nation our, our departure from the laws of God that we have legalized homosexuality and same-sex marriage, that we, have, that we have not only legalized it, but we've glorified it. And, and, and have vilified those who say it's not right, become villains and, and get accused of not being inclusive and acceptive, which nothing could be further from the truth. The fact is God said it's sin. And, and it grieves my heart to know that, that that particular sin would so take over a person's life um, that they would give themselves to it 
thinking that it's normal and thinking that that's the way it ought to be and not and not realizing the judgment of God that awaits. It grieves me to know that for that person, for their soul, and for the state of our nation. When I see when I see the murder in our land and the and the lack of respect for human life across the board, not not in any particular uh, cultural or, or or social setting, but I mean just a, across the board, murder is rampant, uh, rape and, and and drug use and and the world the world is sin has gotten a hold of the world and is dragging it straight to the gates of hell. As a saved man or woman. Knowing what we know about the Bible and knowing what we know about God and about His Word, it should grieve us that our righteous soul should be grieved daily as we see these things and cause us to pray. Well, today we've studied a plea for help as this psalmist ascended to Jerusalem to worship. As we uh, pass through this life, uh, no matter how many days God gives us here, we're strangers. We're just on a journey to heaven. And I look forward to getting there one day. I look forward to seeing the face of Jesus. I look forward to seeing my loved ones who I know are saved and have gone before and being able to fellowship with them. Uh, And that day will come. But in the meantime, we're called to be busy here. The Great Commission is that we share the gospel with the world. That's what we're to be about. Let, Let me say this very quickly. In the midst of all that goes on in society today, that the answer to what's wrong with society today is Jesus. If a man gets saved, listen to me, if a man or woman gets saved, they won't hate somebody else because of the color of their skin. If they get saved, they won't do that. If a man or woman gets saved, they won't have an abortion. The doctor won't perform the abortion if they get saved. If a man or woman gets saved and they know Jesus Christ, they won't kill somebody else. They won't commit murder. They won't rape. If a person gets saved, they won't live a life of habitual rebellion against God. If they truly get saved... Jesus is the answer, giving a man or a woman a new heart, making them a new creation. That's the answer to sin. So our primary focus has to be winning people to Jesus. Our primary focus has to be sharing the gospel and living the testimony so that when we share the gospel, it has power and has an effect. If you don't know Jesus today, if you've never been saved, I invite you to do that right now. Uh, Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. They put him in a tomb. He rose again the third day. He only needed a borrowed tomb because he wasn't staying there. He rose out of the grave so that we can have life. If you know that you're lost and, you know, and you're not sure you go to heaven right now if you died, would you pray right now and ask Jesus to forgive your sin and save your soul? Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for a time in your word. I pray that everyone who watches this video will be blessed by your word. And I pray for that one who might be lost, that right now they would bow their head and say, Oh God, I know I'm lost and I want to be saved. Forgive me. Save me right now. Make me different, Lord. I want to be, I want to be a citizen of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.